Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, the Philistines were a well-oiled military. They were dominating. The Israelites were on their heels again, trying to fend off the Philistines' crushing force again. They were gathered on opposing rises with the Valley of Elah. It was a valley of death hung between them. And the Philistine champion was Goliath of Gath. He was probably something close to seven feet tall, a beast of a man, and his weaponry. Oh, his weaponry was amazing. He had a bronze helmet. Did you, did you see that the detail that the, the writer went to tell us what, he's, what he has on? This was new stuff. A bronze helmet. Metal armor weighing close to probably 150 pounds. Bronze guards on his shin. Javelin forged of glistening, polished iron. It was cold steel, ready to kill. The shaft of his spear was called a weaver's beam. When you had a, a loom, these were the large beams that went at the top and the large beams that went at the bottom to frame this massive piece of machinery. Goliath was the Iron Age warrior. He was outfitted in the very latest in sophisticated military technology. He had everything you could possibly want. And he stood there in front of Israel and he spoke boasting words. Today I defy Israel. Send an Israelite out to fight me. And whoever wins will be the conqueror and whoever loses will be the servants. Well, of course, Goliath was cocky and self-assured. He was always the most powerful person on the battlefield with the most advanced weaponry that was available. He was backed by the most powerful military of the day. Goliath was invincible. Goliath's story was entirely start to finish Goliath's story. He was the hero. He was the terror. Of course he was. Everything about his life, everything about the way the world worked, confirmed the fact that was plain for absolutely everyone to see. Goliath was the force to be reckoned with on this day. So then you have Saul. Saul's Israel's king. You have all the Israelite soldiers, and they saw Goliath's massive presence. They saw his weaponry. weaponry. They heard his booming voice from the valley. And Samuel says what must be a massive understatement. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Well, of course they were. Goliath was a menace. Goliath held all the power. Goliath was the terror who was haunting their dreams. And then David enters the story. 
David's not old enough or experienced enough to be a soldier. His job is to tend to the sheep. But his father, Jesse, sent him with grain and cheeses to the battlefront to check on his brothers. And David arrives and he runs up and he greets his brothers and they begin to share news of home, maybe to, to start to tear into the cheeses. And while they're sharing the news and greeting one another, David hears what they had been hearing for days now. David saw what they had seen for days now. David hears Goliath's booming, mocking voice echoing across the hillside. And Samuel says, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Once again, we get a reminder that it is Goliath who is dominating this story. All the people see is Goliath. All that Israel sees is a very large man who's going to destroy them, who has all the latest weaponry. Goliath is absolutely the central character in Israel's story at this moment. And the terrified soldiers were all talking amongst themselves, and, and uh, David can hear this. And he says, do you see how this man coming out and defies Israel? If anybody will go out and fight Goliath, they are going to win the lottery. Saul's going to give them wealth, going to give him his daughter for marriage, and his father's family will not have to pay taxes. Well, that's good news. The problem is you have to fight Goliath to get all this stuff. You know, whenever we're living by the stories of this world, whenever all we can see is Goliaths, whenever we're dominated by fear, this is always, it seems, the very best solution that the, the authorities can muster, to target our fear and to manipulate our self-interests. Do you ever feel like maybe that's happening at all in our world? Do you think that perhaps fear is run rampant and perhaps our self-interests are being manipulated? It's even worse. I mean, this Goliath is real. What seems even worse is when the authorities make up Goliaths in order to manipulate our self-interests, in order to manipulate our fears. But on this day, there was a legitimate concern and he was very large, and he was very powerful, and they had reason to be afraid. It was Goliath. So David's watching all this, and David is incredulous. He can't believe that no one in the entire army of God's people of Israel, or Saul, who if you remember the story of Saul, he wasn't a Goliath, but he was, he was a big fellow himself. He was supposed to be a powerful warrior. He was the king. He was supposed to be the savior. And he was doing nothing. No one was doing anything. And so you know the story, but young David cannot hold his tongue. Who is this Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? David says, looking around, who is this Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God. And for the first time in this story, 
we get a hint that there may be someone who sees another character as the central reality in the story other than Goliath. For David, we get the first hint that the central character in his story actually wasn't Goliath. The central character in his story was God. Who is, Phil, who is this Goliath to come against our God? So he looks around, crickets are chirping, and he says, fine then, I'll take on Goliath. So Saul summons up David, and you wonder why. I mean, I guess this was the only option he had at this point. And he tells David, you know, uh, you, you really can't fight Goliath. I mean, you're uh, not experienced, and, you know, you have some strength to you, but you're nothing compared to Goliath. He has been killing people since you were just a wee little boy. This is trouble. And David responds and said, well, you know, I've been tending actually my father's sheep for years. And whenever a lion or a bear grabs one of our sheep, I chase him down and grab him by the throat, and I, take the, I kill him, and I take the sheep back. And I tell you, when I'm reading this story, I, I have to wonder, like, really? <laughs> like, I do want to know, like, did David really do this stuff, or is David, like, really amped up? <laughs> and David really wants at Goliath. Apparently, he did have some kind of skill, though. He had done, he had, his, his, his uh, a reputation had grown that he was one who tended to the sheep. So David is the underdog, but apparently he does have some skill that he's bringing to the fight. I think it is important to remember that God actually does use our skill. I mean, we actually are to bring our best to the world. We actually are to bring and hone the gifts God has given us, but it's just never going to be enough. I really don't know for sure how many bears or lions David had killed or exactly how that went down, but it wasn't Goliath. It wasn't a man of war. It wasn't a man who had the weaponry that Goliath had. But Saul sees young, inexperienced David, and Saul sees mammoth, powerful Goliath. But apparently, David saw Goliath, but he also saw God. So Saul tries to give David his armor, but David refuses. He says, I can't even walk around in this. Like, this is not proven to me. Now, there's some sense that, um, and I think we may have gotten this from some pictures in Sunday school, that it was just too big. And it's like, you know, he's like, the picture's like he's like 11 years old, you know, and, and the stuff's all, that's probably not what it, what it was. I mean, he, he was a young man. It's probably what, that he had never fought in armor, in armor before. He was not a man of battle. He was a man of the field. It may have actually been to some degree strategic for David to say, um, no, I'm not going to use the armor. Because what the, the sense you get from David is the skill he had was his speed and his cunning and a slingshot. These are not things that you want to be encumbered by. You want to move fast and quick. It may have been, though, that he just recognized that these were actually useless to him because he'd never trained with this kind of weaponry before. 
that he simply was going to have to trust God, and, and off he goes. So David picks up five stones from the brook, and he arrives on the battlefield. And Goliath, just like Saul, saw a young, inexperienced David. And Goliath roars with mockery. And this is in the scene. I mean, the storyteller here is a really good writer. He takes his time. He draws out the tension. By the time, I remember when I was like a middle school, in middle school. And at the point I'm hearing the story right about now, I am, man, I am all in. And here they are facing off against one another. And this mocking Goliath says, do you think I'm a dog? That you come to me with a little boy and sticks? Come to me. And I will feed your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And then David steps up. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin. Fine. I come to you in the name of the Lord of the angel armies. The God of the armies of Israel. The one that you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will strike you down and cut off, and I will give, you, give the dead bodies of the Philistines' army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our now, there's a lot there. And at this moment, either David is really an idiot or he sees something that no one else seems to be able to see. He sees a large, looming Goliath and the reason for deep, deep fear but he sees something else. He sees God active on this day. Everyone on that battlefield was caught up in Goliath's story, but David seemed to be caught up in God's story. And this is what all of the scripture does. It catches us up and gathers us into God's story. Whatever dominates our life, it's crucial to pay attention to. We have to pay attention to the fears that are raising their head, things that are looming over us. But these things are never the main story of our life. Not your failing body, not your financial woes, not your crumbling relationship, not your temptations that overcome you again and again, not Washington, D.C., not evil, not our desires, not our questions. All of these things are things we must tend to, but they are not the central story. God is the central story. What God is doing, where God is, what God has promised, the story that God is writing, the things that God has said are true. So David rushes toward Goliath. He's using his speed. He loads his sling in full sprint. 
and in one fluid motion releases the rock. It lands in Goliath's forehead, and that Goliath drops to the ground like a crumbling wall. So, we have in this story this reality of the looming evil, the looming power. And we have a contrary reality, which is God is more powerful. God is more present. God is more active. And this is the theme we actually see, in a way, through all of the readings that we have today. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is able to recognize a reality that's happening right alongside and actually over all of the things that he's encountering. He talks about how he's in affliction, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. He talks about how he is being treated as an imposter, and yet the reality is that he is acting true. That he's being treated as if he is unknown, and yet he knows that in God he is well known. He knows that in many ways he is actually dying, and yet, see, he says, we are alive. That he is being punished, and yet he's not being killed and destroyed. He is sorrowful, that is true, and yet he is always rejoicing. He is poor and impoverished, and yet he serves a God who makes many rich. He has nothing, and yet in God he possesses absolutely everything. Paul could say such a thing because he was coming to a place where he could see God as the center of his story not suffering, not troubles, not fears. He didn't deny them. He just didn't give them more power than was true. And then we came to the gospel reading in Mark chapter 4, where the disciples are on that boat in those ferocious waves. And they go, and they're terrified, and Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up, and they ask the question, that may perhaps be the question we all have to ask when we grapple with who is the center of our story. Jesus, do you care that we are perishing? Do you care that we're perishing? Does God care? Will God abandon us? Can we trust God? Do you care that we're perishing? And of course, the answer is an absolute yes. In Jesus, we discover that God, who is our story, is the God who dies for us, who never abandons us, the God who raised our ruined life from the dead. This is the true story that we find ourselves in, and every other story is either a small shadow or an outright lie. In every moment of our existence, we have pressed upon us a million other stories, and they loom large, and they are powerful, 
And, and many times the questions when we are caught in the vortex of these stories and it seems like everything is falling apart, when it feels like uh, evil is more powerful than God, we have this question that rises up, God, <laughs> do you care that we are here perishing? Do you care that beloved children that you love are being separated from their parents? Do you care that we have no sense of togetherness in our country? Do you care that it seems like uh, war and evil and violence is absolutely winning? When it feels like we're being absolutely torn apart, like our values that we thought that we believed in are being totally torn, when my family is falling apart, when I don't have any hope anymore for the life that I thought I was going for and it seems to have absolutely dissipated, when I have immense fear for my children. Do you care that we're perishing? And there is a very real temptation in those moments to let these very real realities be the most dominant story in our life. But I'm here to remind us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that is the most powerful story. The most powerful story is that God is active and present and with us. God is with us. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.